Once upon a time, there was a man named Jacques de Norvins. He was Napoleon's chief of police in Rome. And holding such a lofty position afforded him to have his portrait painted around about 1811 by the famous French painter Angre. Now, after the portrait was painted, Napoleon fell from power. And all of a sudden, Norvins wanted to find himself having much less connection to Napoleon after his fall. After all, he still held his position with the police in Rome. And so he had the painting altered. Either Angre did it or one of his students did. But they painted to the left side of the picture a large flowing red drape over what had once been a tall column with the bust of a man on it, the bust of Napoleon's son, who during the empire was known as the King of Rome. Now, if you look closely enough at the painting, the column and the bust are still somewhat visible between, beneath the red paint of the drape. Still there, but outlines of the chin and the nose, the top of the plinth of the column. Norvans tried to wash over the story of who he had once been connected with, but he couldn't make it go away entirely. Some of that evidence still shone through. Now, the history of art is full of little details like this, where one can see evidence of changes made to paintings, either after the fact or even while the works were still in progress. Bits of sketch that don't match up with the final painting or a mistake that was painted over. Layers show through layers. Sometimes these changes and these layers and these overpaintings are easy to spot, and some of these changes take a lot of modern technology to uncover, but the changes are there. And once they've been seen either with the eye or with the help of technology, the changes are hard to ignore. And they change the story the painting is telling somewhat. They change the story of how the picture itself evolved. Now, there's a similar phenomenon in the history of the written word as well. Archaeologists and historians will refer to the palimpsest, a word that comes from the Latin through the Greek, meaning to, to scrape over. Long ago, animal skin parchment was very expensive and very hard to come by. And so when scribes needed a new piece to write on, they would pick a scroll or a page that was no longer needed, and they would scrape off or try to chemically erase the old text and then write their new documents over the old remnants on the fresh-ish fresh parchment. But faint remains of the old writing would still appear allowing scholars to discern and recreate the older texts. 
For one example, the last known fragment of one of Seneca's old philosophical treatises was recovered from beneath the text of a late 6th century parchment that had the Old Testament written on it. This is the human history of storytelling. It is, is riddled with examples of pictures over pictures, of text over text, where the old stories are still showing through, even in faint traces. Sometimes we have to work hard to see them. Sometimes they are evident and plain as day, but once they are seen, they are hard to ignore. Which brings us to this this week. We came here and created a blank slate. We, we birthed a nation from nothing. I mean, there was nothing here. I mean, yes, we have Native Americans, but, if, but candidly, that... that there isn't much Native American culture in American culture. I would like to thank former Senator Santorum for giving me such a lovely example to work with this week. You see, human existence is crafted from story. We tell stories over and over again and build on them, among other reasons, to understand where we came from, who we are right now, and who we are becoming. Rick Santorum is telling a story in this clip about what he thinks it means to be American. And it is an incomplete story, obviously. And it's a story that we have told in this country for hundreds of years. And many have often treated it as a fixed, infallible truth. Now, if we were telling this story as, say, one of the settlers arriving in the Northeast colonies early on, say we were there just for, for two days after our arrival, we could maybe be forgiven for telling this story. For after all, the settlers did arrive and find whole villages made up and fields ready for farming and no one there. It almost was as if God did intend them to come to this land and set it up for them maybe we could forgive them for telling that story. Maybe it's understandable how settlers could tell a story about a foreordained land given to us by God. But we also know that that story transforms into the story of the doctrine of discovery, into the story of manifest destiny. And those stories turned into our forebears actively erasing native peoples from land that was not empty and just waiting for settlers to arrive. But because humans like to look beneath the surface, we know now that that empty land with the fully made villages and the fields ready for farming that those settlers found was created not by God, but by plague brought to these shores by, by even earlier settlers and killing most of the natives who lived and farmed in those northeastern lands. See, later on, we uncovered a story beneath the settler story that had been erased. And once again, we can't 
unsee the story once we have seen it. To persist in telling the settler story, unamended, unrevised, is to deliberately look away from the story underneath. David Loy, in his book, says that the landscape of American history is itself a palimpsest, a manuscript on which more than one text has been written with the earlier writing incompletely erased. New Amsterdam, New York, New Jersey, New Orleans, European colonists settled the New World not only by expelling the Indian, but by restoring the land with old world nostalgia and ambitions. We are stories on top of stories. The question is, how do we include what has been erased? How do we reconcile with what has come before? You see, once we uncover the stories beneath our stories, how we continue to tell our story, how we choose to tell our story, becomes a choice as important and as impactful as the content of the story itself. The choices we make and how we tell our story shape our understanding and our becoming. What do we choose to leave in the story and what do we choose to excise? What do we choose to highlight in the story and what do we ignore? What stays fixed word for word and what is allowed to be fluid? Who do we include as characters in the story and who are we leaving out? Who are we including in our intended audience for our story? And who is not allowed in to hear the telling? Do we let the story we tell live and evolve or do we guard it jealously and keep it just for us? Santorin this week is a variation on our man in the broken story story, refusing to move or to do or to be, guarding, guarding this what he thinks is complete story of America with incredible zeal, not realizing he's already holding just a, a shard of the whole story. Not realizing that there are others waiting outside to help complete that story. Who have been trying over and over again to speak their story past his zealous guard. But here we are with Santorum choosing a story about America that ignores all of the inconvenient parts that excludes a broad swath of what he might consider to be other. And that is a storytelling choice that ultimately transforms into an actual real threat to others as it is lived out. And a storytelling choice that ultimately corrupts the self of the person telling it. This sort of storytelling denies the inclusion of others and their stories, denies the inter interconnectedness of all stories, 
denies any sense of real meaning that might be gained by letting our story breathe and live and interact. It is a form of fundamentalism, a perspective that admits no other perspectives. And ironically enough, in an attempt to find meaning through this limited, very limiting lens, this single perspective, in the process, we strip that very story of its meaning, strip away any depth, any context, any relevance to to now, any sense of the story living in us or through us. And I say us because we're all a little bit fundamentalist about something in our stories. We all have parts of our personal and our shared stories that admit no other perspective other than our own, that we treat as fixed and impermeable, that we guard and try to keep safe like our protagonist in our broken story story. I've spoken at length in the last few weeks about how we struggle to tell our faith story, how in that struggle we often fall into traps, the trap of triumphalism that admits no error in our history, the trap of drawing hard boundaries around us, the trap of excluding others' stories that don't match up with our own experiences. When we fall prey to those traps, our own story loses depth and context and relevance to the here and now. Our story ceases to live. And a living tradition cannot afford to be drained of life. I think it better if we were to be less fundamentalists and a little more rabbinical in our storytelling. Rabbinical rather than rigid. I like that word rabbinical in this case. I'm enamored of the Jewish tradition of midrash. A conversation among rabbis over time a constant commentary and questioning of the old stories that form the Jewish faith whenever they are found to be incomprehensible or even objectionable for the times at hand. The rabbis of the Jewish faith throughout history are seeking out life in their old stories and relevance in them that make sense for the times as they are, and they do not stop there. There is midrash of the old stories and then midrash of the older midrash, a constant dialogue between past and present, sometimes leaving behind more questions for us than answers, all of it becoming part of that layered landscape, the palimpsest of a people's story. How we choose to tell our story makes us who we are, informs who we are becoming. Perhaps we could choose our own sort of midrash then, 
staying in conversation with the layers upon layers of interconnected stories. Perhaps, too, we could choose to be like those great painters, never entirely finished with our work, the evidence of the old underneath the new. In the art world, these visible and invisible changes are known as pentimento, meaning almost literally repentance, a confession in the strokes of the brush that the artist is still trying to get the story right, even in the middle of telling it. Above all, we should choose over and over to tell the whole story as complete as we have it. The story that exists on the surface and the stories that are still showing through underneath. We should choose to use every tool at our disposal to uncover and converse with what might have been lost. Multiplying our perspectives, as Loy says. Letting the whole story tell us into wholeness. May it be so. <laughs>